God only, only and always desires what's good for you. Always. Uh, he desires rest. He desires peace. He desires flourishing and goodness and safety. So God only wants what's good. Which means that everything that God does in all times and places, that, that's for your good. Um, it doesn't always seem like it. In fact, the way that God works is very different from the way that, that we work or the way that we would like things to work, oftentimes. Uh, but it turns out that, that that's good because, uh, yeah, God is bringing about something more beautiful and profound and glorious than you and I could imagine and definitely better than we could ever uh, make happen on our own. So again, everything that God does, everything he wants for us, it's just, it's just good. And one of the things that he wants for you to bring you rest and peace and security and life is for his son to be your king. Jesus Christ is the king of the universe, and he has been established as king. He sits at the right hand of the Father over all things, all creation. But there's a way, too, in which uh, he still, even as king, totally respects you, and he respects your freedom. And even though he's the king of the universe, he doesn't want to control you or manipulate you. Which means you and I, in some ways... Uh, we have the freedom to receive him as king or not. Now the truth is, something has to be the king of your lives. And there's no way around that. So maybe it's an idol of some sort. Maybe it's money or safety or security or pleasure or fame. And that's the thing that controls your life. Maybe it's an addiction of some sort. Maybe it's just you. Maybe you're the king of your life. I know I'm often, I try to be the king of my own life. And to be honest, it's, it's pretty miserable. Like, it's not fun to be king. Everybody thinks they want to be the king until you're the king, and then it's miserable, right? And even the ways in which we try to be king of our own lives, it leads to insecurity, it leads to fear, it leads to restlessness, there's a lot of pressure. And then what happens is I'm the king of my life, and you're the king of your life. And what happens historically when there's two kings? Well, they fight. Because they both kind of want to be king, Right? So when all of us are trying to be the king of all of our own lives, it doesn't go well. I don't know if you've noticed that. Right? We, we come after each other. And maybe it's not with outward violence. Maybe it's with more subtle things, manipulation or gossip or judgment, things like that. But it turns out we're not good at being the king because we're not made for it. Because we are created, you and me, we're created for God. We're created out of his love. And we're created to live in a, a relationship of deep love and intimacy with God. And so only allowing him to truly be the king of our lives brings our hearts rest and brings us peace and leads us to the place that we all want to go. Because I want joy and rest and peace and life and beauty and all that stuff. So does God. But I don't know how to get there. And I'm not good at it. But he is. And that's what he wants. So from all eternity... God was destined to be the king of our lives. In the Old Testament, uh, in our first reading today, we hear about David being anointed as king of Israel. Now Israel, the plan for Israel was that they would not have a king like all the other nations. But they would be a nation set apart with God as their king. So for a while that was the case. But then the people of Israel said, no, we want a king like everybody else. We want to be like all the other nations. Because they think we're weird. Because we don't have a king. And God's like, you don't want a king. And they're like, we want a king. So Samuel, the prophet, comes to God and he says, hey, the people are crying out for a king even though, even though you're the rightful king. 
And God says, if they want a king, they can have a king. And Samuel comes to them and says, you want a king? And they say, we want a king. He goes, do you know what's going to happen if you have a king? He's going to take your daughters, and they're going to serve in his palace, and they're going to be his slaves. He's going to take your sons. He's going to send them off to fight wars, and they're going to die. He's going to take your land, and it will be his gardens. He's going to take your money, and he's going to use it the way he wants it. A king is just going to take from you. Do you want a king? And they said, yeah, we want a king. They said, okay, so be it. Their first king was Saul. Saul was decent as a king. Second king was David. David was a good king, all in all. Afterwards, there was a lot of not good kings, and things did not go well for Israel. Because again, why? Because God was supposed to be the king. God was supposed to reign over the nation. Turns out, again, we're not good at this. We're not good at being king. So, we have a long line of, of people trying to take places that, that they, were never, they never had the capacity to take and roles that they were never having the capacity to fill and just and failing at them. And then, eventually, the true king comes, the one who is to be lord of the universe, the son of God. He becomes a human being. He takes the name Jesus, and he comes to be king. That last, he doesn't have a last name. We call him Jesus Christ. It sounds like that's his last name. Last name's didn't exist at the time. We could go into that. That's kind of a fun thing to talk about. Anyway, uh, his last name means the anointed one. So his name is Jesus, the anointed one. Who gets anointed? Well, kings do. So the Christ isn't a name. It's a title. That means he's the king. So we say our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord means king. Jesus means Jesus. God saves. And Christ means also the anointed one, the king. So he comes as king. And it's strange and beautiful and very wise that on today, when we celebrate Jesus as king, what's our gospel reading from? It's from the crucifixion. Which I think if we ask ourselves, all right, what moment, in what moment of his life does Jesus seem most like a king? I don't think we would be, uh, yeah, most of us wouldn't say, oh, on, and during the crucifixion as he's being tortured and killed. But it turns out Jesus is a very different sort of king. Because what? The kings of these, this earth, they take and they control, and they control with violence. And they want to run things. And they seem kind of far away and lofty and high up. And they've got all the stuff, and they don't understand, but they get to say what goes. But Jesus, even though he is king, and not just king of a, a nation, but king of the universe, he comes, and he comes very close. But what does he come to do? He comes to love to the utmost of his capacity to love. St. John says he loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end, which means with all of his heart he left nothing, he left nothing out. Jesus loves you with everything. He loves you to the end. And he comes not to take but to empty himself. Jesus doesn't come to be violent and to control others, but in his love and in his humility he allows violence to come against him so that he can swallow it up in mercy. He's not high and lofty on a throne. No, he's hung on a cross. And he's not dressed in fine vestments. What is he dressed in? Nothing. No, on the cross, Jesus had nothing. He had no clothes. He had no covering. He was totally, totally exposed in weakness. But the truth is, even there and right there and, and especially there, Jesus is more powerful than any other king who has ever reigned. Because it turns out that true power lies in love and in mercy. Love and mercy are our only hope. 
Love and mercy will save us. But Jesus is there on the cross. He is crucified. He is nailed to the cross. And people are mocking him. There's an inscription over his head that says, this is the king of the Jews. Is that true? Yeah. Like Jesus is the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He is the king of the Jews. But they all say he can't be because he's weak and he's naked and he has no power. And they say, if you're the king, save yourself. Come down. Save yourself. And the leaders of the people mock at him. The soldiers mock him. Even the, those, one of the criminals who is crucified next to him also mocks him because they think what? If you were a king, you would have the power to make this all stop. And you would save yourself and you would, you would save others the way that you saved others. I would argue that in our hearts, sometimes we feel the same about Jesus. We say, like, if you were really king, you would, you would fix everything in my life. Like, you would change it all. If you were really God, if you were really king, if you really cared about me, you'd fix it all. But Jesus is saving us in a very strange way because he's saving us through love. And what does love want to do? First, love just wants to come really, really close and to share and to hold all of our suffering. Jesus wants to come and enter into all of it. And the truth is, although those watching thinks if he was a true king, he would save himself, Jesus shows that he is the only one worthy to be the king of your life because he doesn't want to save himself. Because he'd rather save you. If he had to make the choice, and he did, he made this choice, between saving himself and saving you, he chooses you. Your king will choose you every step of the way. He always chooses you. The love of Jesus is so immense that he loves you more than he loves himself, and he chooses you over himself every moment of the way. Do you deserve it? No. Do I deserve it? No. No, but he just loves. Right before our reading today in the book of, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus looks upon those who are crucifying him and he turns to the Father and he says a little prayer. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Jesus, our King, understands us. We don't have to be afraid of him because he's not a faraway king that doesn't get it. No, he totally, totally understands you. In fact, he understands you better than you understand yourself and he knows you more profoundly than you know yourself like he just totally sees it all and again his response is just love it's just love one of the criminals crucified with him mocks him and says if are you not the christ save yourself and us the other one something's going on in his heart and he sees somehow that jesus is innocent now, he is not innocent, and he knows it. In fact, he says that his crucifixion is a just punishment for what he's done. So he's done something awful. He's done something very bad. But he sees that Jesus is innocent. And even though he has nothing to offer him, like he can't repent and fix his life because he's about to die, and he is just totally poor on the cross, he turns to Jesus with this deep trust and humility and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So in some way, he's saying, I believe that you're a king. Even though it doesn't look like it, and even though it seems like everything's going sideways, he could just sense or something in his heart. He just trusted that Jesus truly was a king. And he says, please just remember me. And he's not even asking him to be saved. He's like, just think about me. Just, just remember me. Jesus responds, 
He says, Amen, I say to you, which is Jesus' way of saying, this is very true and I promise you what's, what's about to come. This is very important and I promise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. The thief asks to be remembered. Jesus says, not only that you will be in paradise, but what? You'll be with me. Jesus saves us by bringing us close to him. What is paradise for Jesus? What does that mean? Paradise is his homeland. It's the place where he's from. It's the place that he loves the most. What is that? That's in his Father's embrace. Jesus came from the Father, from the Father's embrace, from the Father's heart. What is heaven? Heaven is the embrace of the Father and the Son and us being drawn into that. See, the king that we worship wants to save us from all aloneness, all shame, all fear, all pain, and draw us into an embrace of infinite love between the Father and the Son, a place of joy and delight and peace and rest. Jesus comes to save us from everything opposed to us and to bring us home. Gosh, so yeah, because he's so beautiful and he's so good and he's so loving, I think our hearts soften a little and they're like, okay, maybe I can let him be my king. Like a king that'll choose me over himself, that'll lay down his life, that I'm so important to, that, that he would just die for me, that, that sees me, who, who really understands me, like all the way down to the core and just loves me to pieces. Yeah, I guess if, if I have to have a king, like that's who I want. I want Jesus to be my king. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. It's like we're like little kids trying to do adult jobs, like we're trying to be the king, and it just makes us miserable and scared. And Jesus says, don't, you don't have to do that anymore. You can be little, and I'll be the king, and I'll take care of everything. And you can trust me, because I don't want to hurt you, and I don't want to take anything away from you. I just want to love you. Um, I'm going to give you a moment. It says in the, in the second reading that, that the Father has transferred us from darkness and death into the kingdom of his beloved Son. So the Father really wants to entrust you to his Son to be his king. So I'd like you to imagine this little scene. This might not be helpful. If it is, great. If not, don't worry about it. But I'd like you to see Jesus standing in front of you. And he's wearing a crown. But you just see in his eyes that he's very kind. Like he's a king, but he's very kind. He's very loving. And the father's standing next to you. And maybe you're an adult, maybe you're little. It's okay, whichever way. But the father has his hand on your shoulder and he's just showing you his son and how beautiful and good he is. And he just asks you with hope and with kindness, like, would you let him be your king? And you can answer from the honesty of your heart. And maybe the answer is not, not yet or no. Maybe the answer is yes. Maybe you just want to like run into Jesus' arms and just collapse and cry and just let him hold you, you know. But imagine the father looking at you with love, at his son with great pride, and asking you, hey, would you let him be your king? 